Welcome to the game. It's a beautiful thing. With Mark Duffy. My golly gosh. The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack of all trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scribe. My goodness. And Glenn, Glenn Quarterman. Proud Victorian parked permanently in the West who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me! Together they are Duff, Duff and Quarters. Quarters. You know who? And this is your favourite footy, footy podcast. It's unbelievable! Hello everybody, it is Tuesday after semi-final weekend in the AFL. It is time for the first edition this week of the Darfin Quarters podcast. We are brought to you by Tab Touch as always. Those with the touch, you can better your bet, download Tab Touch today. Please gamble responsibly and please, if you encounter any difficulties, call the Gambler's Helpline on 1-800-858-858. Quarters. Duff. We are hearing that today Luke Jackson will tell Melbourne that he wants to return to WA. He will not nominate either one of the WA clubs, but we still believe that Fremantle has the inside running on Luke Jackson. So is that um, looking after Melbourne? Is it, or is it uh, setting the ball rolling so the best possible deal can be done? I think it's probably um, a combination of a lot of things. So I think while West Coast are in the mix... There is always the threat of West Coast taking Luke Jackson through the preseason draft, and that tempers, if you like, Melbourne's stance at the trade table a little bit. So let's look at how it would work for West Coast. They've got pick two, so they would have to they have to use that, but they can go to the AFL and say we can trade this pick, we can split this pick. So they would get permission from the AFL they to w- trade that pick, absolutely, because Luke Jackson is twenty years old. And what the AFL, the reason why the AFL tries to make clubs take two first round picks every four years is because they don't want clubs trading away their futures on mature age players who may not offer them much. Luke Jackson clearly doesn't fit that um, uh, that set of criteria. So they could trade that pick. They could split the pick, um, try and get Melbourne to take um, one of those picks on offer for Luke Jackson. Um, or Can they, they afford him? Uh, I think that's the question. And I think the other question is, what does he achieve for West Coast? So he gives them a great young ruckman. Um, they probably only have Nick Nat Nui for one year. They signed him for two, which I found strange. Um, but let's say they get one year out of Nick Nat Nui, then Luke Jackson would slide straight into that first ruck role. West Coast desperately need midfielders with speed and class. Their youngest midfielder, who's much good, the youngest one is Tim Kelly, and he's 28. Uh, we don't know how good Campbell Chesser is. Haven't seen him play yet. He may be great or he may just be another player. So, therefore, um, it's incumbent on West Coast to try and bolster their midfield. Your best chance of getting a great midfielder, like an Andrew Brayshaw, like a Caleb Sarong, as Fremantle did, is in the top 10 picks of the national draft. So, I would suspect that West Coast will stay with their strategy of um, not. They'll go after Jackson. They'll have a crack. They'll try and bid his price up a little bit, I reckon, and that's fair enough. Um, you know, they, they are Fremantle's most direct competitor, but I suspect Fremantle has very much the inside run on the Jackson trade deal. So, Jackson a ruckman or a forward ruckman? 
uh, or just an athletic big man. So his best... Or potentially a key defender. Hmm. You know, like, look, the, the issue with Lee Jackson is that he's 20 years old. He's been used in a certain way by Melbourne. We don't really know what he is, really, or what he could be. He's probably. a unicorn. He's a unicorn, yes, exactly. But but unicorns, I, I look, I've gone through the AFL season guide. I haven't found many unicorns on the Brownlow medal list. Or so the, the unicorn is, is derived from the NBA. It's where a player can play in several positions. Yeah. I think he fits that mould perfectly as a unicorn. I think, I'm not sure. I agree with you. I'm not sure. Um, I think where he's had the greatest impact is in bursts in the ruck. He certainly hasn't had greatest great impact as a forward. But, uh, as you say, he's only 20 years of age. So I think you're drafting, you're trading him in on potential, not what he's going to give you right now. That's right. It's a, it's, it's a big call by Fremantle if, he, if indeed he does end up there. Um, they would be looking at a player who um, they believe can become something very special. Certainly the contract money we're hearing now, whether $900,000 a year is right, uh, whether seven years is right, certainly I would be very surprised if the money they're paying Luke Jackson is anywhere south of $800,000 a year. What you are going to get if he returns to WA is a happy Luke Jackson because he is very much embedded here. He loves his mates. He loves his family. So he will be a happier uh, young footballer. Yeah, and I think the other thing to say about Luke Jackson is that I, I got the strong impression that by the finals, Melbourne's forward line was broken. So it's Luke Jackson, given that, you know, he splits his time between the ruck and the forward line with Max Gorn. It's hard to judge him on impact, particularly forward to centre, based on what happened at Melbourne in the finals because their modus operandi appeared to be um, kick long, have Jackson, Gorn and Ben Brown all fly for the mark and then hope someone crumbs it. That that appeared to be what they were doing. Yeah, so. it, it was a bit hard to read. Um, so, good point to segue into the Brisbane-Melbourne game. Uh, I did expect Melbourne to go a lot deeper. I didn't expect them to be the team um, that was out in straight sets. But I think if we look back, Duff, we look back to their second half of the season, it was very reflective of what happened in the finals as well. So, um, you know, dysfunctional going inside 50, that was what we'd, we'd e-marked that a long way out. I, I, and I guess and it's it's right to say that we just expected this magic, some panacea to come into it and Melbourne all of a sudden refine the form they found last year. But that just was probably never going to be the case. So they're six and eight over the last fourteen games that they played during the season. That's a long, that's a large body of work, isn't it? Um, and the other thing quarters is that I'm not even particularly critical of them for losing the final against Brisbane. They're very banged up. They, they, they've ended up with, you know, Fritch was injured. Petraka, what a, what a great effort by Petraka. Petraka, Gorn was carrying a groin. I believe that, well, Jake Lever was injured in the middle of the match. I believe he might have taken something in. Well, Oliver had a hand injury that he nursed the last five, six weeks. He wasn't right. Um, no, well, Oliver's got a broken yeah. thumb. So, yeah, they, they, they carried a lot of um, dents into that final. And at three-quarter time... I texted a mate of mine that barracks for Brisbane and I said, if you're any good, you'll win because they're, they're there for the taking. And the scores were level at three quarters. Well, time. I think I texted you at half time yep. when Zorko won that centre clearance just before half time. Yep. And, and they, they got a goal out of that. I think there were 10 seconds remaining. Or yep. I thought, gee, that's a big turning point. And a great clearance from Zorko, by the way. And he's had two pretty good finals. Give him credit where it's due, entering this final series um, as the, the, the bad man. 
the bad little fella. He was. <laughs> Let's talk about about another bad man yes. who will be at the tribunal uh, later on Berry. today. So Jared Berry was the match winner, really, for Brisbane, wasn't he? Because basically what had happened to halftime is that Clayton Oliver had been stymied to a certain degree by Devin Robertson, but Devin Robertson wasn't giving Brisbane much in terms of offensive run. And Berry went on to uh, Oliver and not only kept Oliver quiet, but gave them an enormous amount out of the centre. A lot of drive, a lot of inside 50 uh, impetus, and he was terrific. Um, but in the middle of all that, there was a wrestle. The third quarter, yes, and uh, and there was an Oliver forearm. Uh, firstly, there was a tackle, which was legitimate tackle. Yep. Then there was a forearm onto the throat, and then there was a reach, which resulted in a clear eye gouge yep. for mine. Um, the question is, uh, and this is what Brisbane will argue, is uh, well, you're, you're going to get it down from intentional, is did he know he was eye gouging? Well, the only thing I'd say to that, I think it deserves a week. I tend to think that um, he gets a week tonight and they appeal and the legal eagles get him off. But when you reach, you know pretty much what a head feels like, don't you? Well, Jordan Lewis, who of all the commentators that were commentating on the game, is the one with the most experience in these matters, shall he we is, say, Glenn? Not uh, that he was an eye gouger, but he, was, he was, wasn't unfamiliar. He was a scrapper. He was a scrapper. He was a scrapper. And, and Jordan Lewis looked at it and said, um, and the others had all invoked the players' union. Oh, they've got a strong case. They'll get him off, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Jordan Lewis said, yeah, you always know where your hands are, and I don't think he's as innocent as you're saying he is. Mm. So um, if you're trying to push him off, you're not raking your fingers across his face and across his Do you eyes. think he gets off tonight? I don't think he should, but, hey, the AFL Tribunal is like Chuck Lotto. Isn't it, it is. Really? <laughs> it's, it's a bit like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, it, it wouldn't greatly surprise me if, for him to get off, but I think if you're Andrew Brayshaw, you'd be asking for a refund, wouldn't you? If you're if yes, um, if Jared Berry, which was, was on off. Jared Berry last year, and the people who are saying that Clayton Oliver made a big deal of bringing this to the attention to the umpire, well, Jared Berry made a big deal of bringing it to the attention to the umpire when Brayshaw, when did, Brayshaw it. did it. Players do not like other players' hands and fingers around their eyes, and as we said before, anyone accuses us of West Australian bias, as we said about Andrew Brayshaw. Great player, Andrew Brayshaw, great person, but you cannot be putting your hands there. And um, he got a week and he copped a week. And I think if they get it right tonight, I think Jared Berry cops a week as well. So Brisbane, uh, I'm pleased for Brisbane. Yeah, I didn't expect them to go this deep. Uh, I worry about them. But I said this last week, I worry about them against Melbourne. I worry about them against Geelong. But, you know, Hipwood stood up when it counted. You had Joe Danaher, late withdrawal. Um, as you said, Barry, Daniel Rich was terrific. It was a good effort, wasn't it? So Hipwood, he's the other one. So let's talk about him. He's been a a, a project, hasn't he? He's been a, a work in progress. So we know the potential. He's quick. He's rangy. He can take a mark. He can kick a long left foot goal. Um, but he stood up when they needed him to stand up. He had 17 disposals. He kicked four goals. He kicked them when it mattered. Big goals that could have easily been missed. Should have been kicked, but could have easily been missed. Mm. He kicked them, made them count. Um, I think that's easily his most significant performance in an AFL game. Now, you mentioned Daniel Rich, and Daniel Rich was good. But I'm going to throw another one at you. Kadeen Coleman, I thought, yeah, was, I thought was. was superb. Yeah. Particularly early when they were struggling. And Kadeen Coleman showed them the way. You know, let's go quick. Let's go inside the corridor. Let's challenge their defence. And to me, that he 
it was almost like he led the way and the others followed as they got a bit more belief. I I thought he played a mighty game. Darcy Fort's game with McInerney due back this week. So do That's you go going to be really two? interesting. Well, it's something you're going to consider. I'd probably not. I'd probably go with... Um, McInerney returning. Wow, that's a hard call. It is a hard call, it's, and I, but it's based on the evidence of one game. Yeah. But it was a good game from Darcy Ford. So Chris Fagan has, and we've criticised him for this, Chris Fagan has used Darcy Ford as the medisub before because he is quite a mobile big man. Would you consider that in a final? 100%. You would? I would. Jeez, that's a big call too, quarters. Mm. I mean, what if what, you lose someone? What if you lose a midfielder early? Yeah. yeah it's a big call. Um, and you've got a Ruckman to come on. I think there was a game just a few weeks back where we thought having the Ruckman as the Medi-Sub possibly cost them the game. So, yeah, it's a it's a big selection decision. Um, Danaher comes back, of course, so he would come in for Fullerton, we think. Yes, he would come in for Fullerton. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of others in the periphery. If, if Berry doesn't play, you suspect Jared Lyons. Of the, if you did play the two, for example, is it the area you can get Geelong? Um, I would have thought you'd get Geelong with speed. Mm. So... Yeah, if anything, I'd be erring on the side of speed. Um, now, how you do that is you've got Bailey, who I thought Bailey was pretty scratchy early and then worked well into the game. Um, you've got Charlie Cameron, who is Three quick, goals. quick but plays yeah. deep. He played a significant game. Mm. Um, you know, who else have they got? McCluggage is a great runner. Um, Rainer is explosive. You, you want to be testing Geelong's ability to run the ground, I reckon. The other game, mate. Are you uh, are you okay? I'm always okay, mate. I'm <laughs> always okay. It's uh, as I often say to people, they're not curing cancer. You know what I? You know what I thought? I thought the twenty point result in Collingwood's favour. I f- it felt like about thirty. No, it's more like fifty. Yeah, maybe. I don't think. I think you've been. Uh, you've no, been, I don't think so. You're I, being very generous. I reckon boys. they had territory early. I d- think there was the ability to frank the territory wasn't there early. And I think that hurt them because you've got to get goals on the board early to try and sort of stabilise that crowd. 90,000 at the G. I thought, interesting, that a week before, Frio thought they'd played it in a final, and certainly they did, where it got gets a bit quicker and tighter. No, they they found, certainly they found, found out, out about a real final. Went, a, top yeah. fi- a top four at the real pointy end of finals. And I reckon we, all, we often go on about Kevin Sheedy blooding players on Anzac Day and it means 10 games of experience. I reckon that's 20 games of experience for a lot of those Freo players there. They now know what that very pointy end looks like. Uh, we saw Brayshaw, Sarong, normally, you know, a bit smoother out of the um, stoppages. Just no space. Yeah. And, you know, and being forced into error. It was really telling, and I reckon they go into the summer now. It was, it was for me, if you're going to go out of a final series, perfect way to go out because now you enter the postseason and the preseason knowing the level you have to aspire to to even challenge. Yeah. I think it's a great lesson for them, and I think even when they do their homework and look at it back, I think they'll, they'll, they'll realise that. It's disappointing to exit. It's a big tick for their season to get as far as they did. No, I reckon they'll be pretty flat. Uh, like, I think that so, everyone was chuffed when Fremantle played finals because a lot of people didn't have Fremantle in their eight. I had them seventh, so I thought, okay, when they finished fifth, I thought that's a good result. Fremantle believed they were a top six team and they believed they would win a final. So, therefore, when they went out to, onto the ground on Saturday night, they believed they were at par, 
not playing with house money, they believe they were at par. And really, when you're in that position, you at least want to give a good account of yourself. And I don't think that happens. I think that that was a, you say 30 points, it felt more like 50. I mean, when you look at the number of shots that Collingwood had in the second and third quarter that they butchered, the utter dominance they had on the ground, and the fact that Fremantle kicked four of the last five goals when Collingwood had pretty much changed back into third gear in the final term. I I think they will be very flat about that performance. And I think the other thing is when we look at it, we will go, okay, so the finger's been pointed at Rory Lobb. Well, Rory didn't have a great night. Um, Their forwards didn't have a great night. But the reality is... The real issue was ball movement, and the real issue was the inability to contain Jordan Dugowie. Agree with that. Out I, of the middle. Dugowie's been super. Um, I quite liked the signs from Amos, though. I thought particularly in the second half, and it didn't have a lot of the footy, but I just thought the signs starting to get himself into position. It's a hard game. No, I thought Amos was fine. Yeah. I, to be honest with you, I thought their forward line wasn't great, but it was okay. You know, you would have liked Rory Lobb to exert dominance on the game and clunk a couple and kick a couple. You'd like Griffin Logue to hold that one in the square. Griffin gets his hands to a lot of balls. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. You know, um, you'd like that. That's the next step. Yeah, if he ever takes it. He's 24. Mm. You know, he's six or seven years into his AFL career. Um, I thought Amos was fine. I thought Lockie Schultz was terrific. He was. I thought Michael Walters was okay. And I think Sam Swidkowski had a different, a difficult job given that they were trying to stymie um, Nick Dacos and there wasn't a lot happening offensively for Switkowski to keep Nick Dacos accountable. So therefore, he, he was pretty much chasing Nick Dacos's tail for much of the game. I thought Frederick, even though he ended up with two goals, was a bit disappointing. Mm. And I think even just classic little snapshot of Michael Frederick's game. Michael Frederick is, I think, close to the fastest player in the AFL. Jack Crisp is a great runner. But do you reckon if Michael Frederick was really chasing? Do you, you don't think he was really chasing no, then? Re- Why wasn't he really chasing? I reckon he half quit on that chase three Why? times. Well, because some blokes just don't have that intent, do they? And even when he runs Ed Richards down in the other final, you know, Ed Richards dawdled with the ball. But Crisp was on a power run, and if Frederick was really going at Mac 2. He looked to me like he was going. Like Frederick can do. Frederick gets him before he leaves the centre square. Just because he's quicker, mm. you know? And he, he they got to a stage where he's two metres away and he was thinking, please kick it, please kick it, please kick it. He, he should have been thinking, run another five metres, mate, mm. and I've got you. Would have been a good tackle. Yeah. Um, and eventually he acknowledged, geez, he's going to keep going. I've got to get him. And he nearly gets hands on him. But there were four half efforts before he did that. He should have had him inside the centre square. So I, I, I'm being hard there, but I think that you know that's the next level for Michael Frederick to get because as much of a weapon as Michael Frederick is for Fremantle, imagine the weapon he is if he's applying that speed defensively. Like he's just mowing two or three defenders down every game, isn't he, mm. with that speed? Yeah, I thought to me it looked like he was going. Hayden Young, another good performance in yeah, defence as well. Yeah. He's been very good. Um, Jordan Ngoi, we looked at him. Well, we've been critical of him this year, and it's a big year for him. He's got a decision to make, but uh, he has been the player of the finals for mine so far. Yeah, and I think if Jordy Ngoi um, produces another game like his first two, he will be the player of the finals. That's the other thing. Um, so yeah, he, there's two down, two to go. That's he, right. he was absolutely wonderful. And the interesting thing, and this tells you what a damaging player he is, there aren't many better mid-sized midfield tacklers than Andrew Brasher in the competition. Geordie Dugowie blew him off about three times. You know, Andy Brasher tried to lay the tackle. 
to go, he just said, not today, son. Not today. And just walked out of them. So he was he was monumental. And to me, quarters, Dugowie set the rules of engagement for the game. And the rules of engagement were Collingwood, who were expected to lose the centre square stoppages, will win the centre square stoppages. They will get field position. And if Fremantle wants to shift the ball to score, they're going to have to shift the ball down what Ross Lyon used to call the long field, i.e. from deep inside your defensive 50. And Fremantle had to try and do that, and they found it too hard, and some of their players weren't safe with the ball. And then once they weren't safe with the ball, they were timid with the ball. And that, to me, set the entire game for me. And um, and so when I look at the game, everyone will go, oh, so-and-so didn't stand up, so-and-so didn't stand up. You know, Ginevan kicked three goals on Brandon yeah. Walker. I think Brandon Walker's major sins were committed around the ball and not in stopping someone else when they had the ball. I think if you look at Ginevan... He wasn't the worst Brandon Walker. He's copped a bit of flack out of that game. I thought, yeah, he made some errors, but he was okay. Yeah, he just lacked composure. Yeah. And he didn't go once when he should have... He needed to go back and make a contest But he had a few Ginevan. mates. And I mean, the, the whole point is 90,000 at the G. Well, so this, is, uh, this is... Composure is hard in those circumstances. The other point is 19 years old. Yeah. So we forget that. Like Brandon Walker's been around for the best part of two years now. I looked at his um, date of birth the other day. He's, he hasn't turned 20 yeah. yet. That's that's young. It's an interesting forward line. Look at Jamie Elliott. You mentioned Ginevan before, Majacek. It's an interesting setup, that forward line at Collingwood. Yeah, so it's different, but it suits the way that they play. And I think the other thing about Craig McRae is that he's almost gone completely counterintuitive with the way he plays. A lot of clubs that don't have the dominant presence in front of the ball would go, we need to be more careful because we're going to turn it over. He's gone exactly the opposite way. No, no. We need to get through the press. We need to get out the back. We need to go in and use speed and mobility and get defenders off balance and and pounce on our asset, which is our speed and the finishing qualities of Elliot, Nick and Gideon. Yeah. yeah. So it's brilliant coaching. Um, I'm 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 coming to the conclusion that the way Collingwood and Richmond before them play is the perfect antidote to the press, because yeah. because the press is little more than an eighty metre field, isn't it? It's like everyone's there, and you dare them to try and shift the ball through your numbers. And Collingwood go, yeah, okay, that's fine. We're going to take twenty metres out of that AF eighty metres, and then that guy's going to run ten metres, and then he's going forward as well, and then. Everyone at the back end of that 80-metre field from the defending team has to reposition and then the holes open up. Which is why it's going to be interesting on uh, at the weekend with at the, at the smaller SCG. Interestingly, McRae came out this morning and, or last night and said, I coached badly when we played at the SCG recently. I didn't really take into account the dimensions. So I'm really fascinated with how that game's going to go given, given Sydney defended so well. Yeah, I'd be tempted... So Mason Cox has reinvented himself as a, um, a second ruck, you know, takes some marks behind the ball, sometimes takes some marks ahead of the ball. I'd be very tempted to play him a lot deep forward this week because you know what, the because it's shorter, there's almost like no centre-half forward, is there? There isn't. Yeah. Ask Damien Drum. Yeah. Famously. Yeah. Was it Rodney Eady turned up at a game one day and Damien Drum was playing without a centre-half forward? He said... <laughs> What, where's the centre-half forward, Damien? He said, no, I don't need one here. And he said, Damien, give me a centre-half forward, please. <laughs> so I think, I think that comes into play. 
at Sydney. And, and the reason why Sydney play so well at the SCG is that they, they have developed an understanding as to how that works. So Franklin will either play deep or he'll come up to the wing and be the one taking the ball inside. Um, you know, Logan McDonald will probably play deep if he plays again yep. this weekend, and he will be the he'll be more the lead up guy, and Buddy will be a bit there and a bit further up the ground. So yeah, we'll preview those games on Thursday, obviously. But just one hypothetical before we get onto some marks, we've got quite a bit to get through. Yeah, if you if just say if you're Geelong or Brisbane, who do you want to play in the grand final? Um. Okay, I'll say this. I think Sydney will probably beat Collingwood because I think it's a massive ask to go to the SCG and beat the Swans in the sort of nick they're in. If Collingwood find a way... They can beat Geelong, who we expect to beat. I expect them to beat. I expect Geelong to beat Brisbane. And if Collingwood get past Sydney, I would expect Collingwood to beat Geelong. Mm. I just think the method will hold up. Well, they did all but win two weeks ago against Geelong yep. at the same venue. And Geelong is saying, well, we didn't play that well, but Collingwood doesn't let you. You know, Did Collingwood let Fremantle play well on the weekend? No. The pressure is so high, and they will just play that high-octane brand, we keep coming at you, we keep coming at you, we will not handball backwards, we will handball forwards, we will run forward, we will keep shifting the ball forward. I think that... I think it's a very challenging brand. It's a remarkable th- performance by Craig McRae and that playing group from 17th. Uh, from, from? Yeah, but they, were they a genuine 17th? Well, the latter says so. Yeah, no, they weren't. I the latter says so. I mean, Melbourne finished 17th in 2019. Were they a genuine 17th in 2019? No. So sometimes there's real 17th. West Coast were a genuine 17th. I still think it's year. been a remarkable coaching effort given the obviously the number of close results given where he's taken that playing group so quickly but more importantly how he's got everyone to buy into his strategy there's no question that i think if you're looking for candidates for coach of the year um, three of the four teams left in the competition have candidates for coach of the year so sydney john longmire fantastic chris scott geelong the minor premiership new you know, just a few yeah. tweaks to the playing style. And Craig McRae, off the charts, good in his first season at Collingwood. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's taking nothing away from Chris Fagan, who's obviously galvanised this group at a time when they were really under the pump coming out of that final round. They also needed two, though, didn't they? Yeah, of course they did. But they, they needed one, I reckon, but they've got two. Yeah. So it's good effort by them. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's going to be a fascinating watch. But So who are you picking from here? Well, we're going to have to do those on Thursday, but right no, no, now, no, no, no. Who you pick? So, the, right now, it's a right now. I think it's a Geelong Sydney Grand Final. Yeah. Well, I think we probably agree on that um, because it's just so hard to win at the SCG. But yeah, being, but I'm curious as to see. I'm a bit like you. If Collingwood poke through that game, uh, whoa! I think Geelong would prefer to play Sydney. That's for sure. I reckon. Mm. Yeah, I, I think they would feel that they can, they can handle Sydney. I'm not sure they feel it. Mm. I reckon Collingwood would have frightened the life out of them the last time. I agree. Yeah, agree. Um, other so let, let's quick summation of trade news. What we yes. know so far. So um, I think we mentioned Luke Jackson at we the did. top of the show, didn't yes. we? So what else comes for the local teams? Um, Junior Rioli, um, the interest from Port Adelaide. There's also been interest from um, North Melbourne. 
Um, I think West Coast would like interest from Hawthorne and Richmond and Essendon as well. Whether that's really coming forward or not, I think they'd like to create a market for Junior Rioli. Let's watch this space, see how that unfolds this week. The other one I would be interested in watching at West Coast is Josh Rotham. Josh Rotham is contracted. I think that um, uh, Josh Rotham and his management will look around because they will believe that, well, if Shannon Hearn's playing next year, where am I playing? And that was the case this year. He was very much a dislocated footballer this year. Um, So don't be surprised if he bobs up in trade discussions somewhere. I expect West Coast to participate to a degree in the Jackson trade scenario, but there's probably going to have to be um, a stalemate reached between Melbourne and Fremantle before West Coast looms up alongside Fremantle. Um, I'm guessing that... um, West Coast is seeing their needs as multiple, if you like, not specific. And uh, a plane full of Frio players arriving today, we speak, including Acres, Lob and Lowe landing back in town today. So Exit the, the, interviews starting tomorrow at Frio. So these are the, this is the interesting stuff at Fremantle. Um, we expect Rory Lobb will request a trade if he hasn't done already. Um, but Rory Lobb has a contract and so... That has to suit Fremantle. That Roy Lobb just can't say, I'm going bye-bye, unless he wants a year off footy next year uh, without pay. Um, Griffin Logue, that's still... I think Griffin Logue is looking more and more likely to request a trade. I think the money... Wants to stay, but the money's too good to refuse. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit of that, and maybe other factors um, playing into that. And I think the Blake Acres one shapes as one of those ones where he's possibly worth more to Carlton than he is to Fremantle. And so... So, a very good game at the weekend from Blake Aikens. Very brave game. Very brave game with an injured yeah. knee. Yeah. So, he's one of those modern-style wingers who can run two ways and gets back and gets back and defence. Who's the biggest loss, Akers or Logue? Logue. Yeah, I agree. So, Logue, the, the real... And, and people will scoff at that because Acres could finish quite high in Fremantle's best and fairest but the reality is is that if anything happens to Alex Pierce, Griffin Logue is their nominal number one power defender the deepest guy playing on Tommy Hawkins, playing on Tommy Lynch, playing on all those guys so therefore Fremantle will be, Fremantle will look at Blake Acres and say we would prefer to keep you but if you go because there's more money we're not sure we can pay you much more now to clarify that Fremantle's offer to Blake Akers, my understanding, is very performance-based. So therefore, if Blake Akers were to have another year like he's got at this year at Fremantle, Blake Akers can earn as much, if not more, over at least the next two years at Fremantle and probably get the third year that, as I understand it, Carlton is offering. The difference is is that there's a much higher proportion of guaranteed money at Carlton. So the security financially for Blake Akers is far better at Carlton than it is at Fremantle. So I, I tend to think that that's one of those ones where you understand the viewpoint of both parties. You know, Fremantle for not wanting to pay more, for wanting, wanting him to perform to get his money, and Acres sort of going, well, I've played very well this year. I think I've earned a bit more than that. Therefore, if Carlton's offering, I'm going. The other names that have been mentioned at Fremantle are interesting because Lloyd Meek, I suspect if Jackson comes, Lloyd Meek has to look around, mm. um, even though he's contracted. Darcy Tucker, this is an interesting one. So Darcy Tucker has a contract. Obviously, he's injured, won't play again for the rest of the season. Um, North Melbourne is interested. Now, we are yet to find out what 
the the assistance package for North Melbourne will be. It's been suggested to me that there may be incentives for clubs to trade with North Melbourne. Now, and don't rule Griffin Logue out of this. Yeah, either. so end of first round compo we're talking. If if basically if it which is nonsense, but let's go on. You yes, know. yes. <laughs> know your views. Yeah. You made them patently obvious. Yeah. If it becomes more in Fremantle's interest to trade with North Melbourne, then we may see both Logue and Tucker on the trade table. Um, the other one's Liam Henry. Well, Liam Henry has a contract, and basically, unless Fremantle got a very good offer for Liam Henry, I don't see Liam Henry going. Um, and the way Liam Henry played in the waffle. Uh, at the weekend, I'm not sure why anyone would be making a very good offer. Mm. And a couple of giants um, going to Taranto and Hopper, so going to the Tigers, and another in Tannabrun, uh, Geelong, nominating Geelong, which is where he's from. So the talk on Hopper is two first round picks. Now, are you paying two first round picks for Geelong? No, you're not, but you're going Ambit Claim. If you're GWS and you scale it down from there. So what will it be, you reckon, in the end? Um, I think a first rounder. But look, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do some work, Richmond. Yeah, absolutely. So does let's say Taranto and Hopper both get to Richmond. Does that keep the Tigers in the premiership window? It helps. I don't like the length of the deals though. What we're talking seven year deals. Mm. I think that's I'm not sure I would do that. I wouldn't be comfortable with my club doing that. I don't like the length of those. They trade- Buddy was different. Buddy Franklin was different. He was a generational Sydney player, puts bums on seats. He's a big name. Franchise player. I think so. I, I, these aren't. These These are needs players. Be, they'll absolutely keep Richmond relevant and in the frame, but I just don't like the long-term deals. In the premiership frame or in the finals frame? No, I think in the finals frame. I'm yeah, like, me there's too. no guarantee. So... But, so the, I guess the question is why then? Yeah. Why not just take your lumps? Because they believe they're in the premiership frame still. Yeah, I'm not sure they're right. So you've got to be – so if you're a recruiting man at Richmond, maybe you need to sit Damien Hardwick down and have a chat and say, hang on, how realistic are you that this is worth the deal, that mm. we're cutting these players? Interestingly, Damien Hardwick had a tour through the arc uh, yesterday. So Coburn good up. to see he's – no, the arc. Oh, the other arc. The other arc. The arc that the he doesn't review like. arc. So – uh, good to see he's let it go. But in all seriousness, you know, he's entitled to do that. And there's talk of a um, of removing the soft core from goal umpires in those instances, which I don't mind. Yeah, you know what I'd like to because see? Because we wouldn't have even debated that goal because if it was a behind. Co- if yeah. there was no soft call made, there'd be no debate. Yeah, they'd look at the footage and they go, well, he's probably missed that. Mm. Um, they'd look at Tom Lynch's reaction to it. Yes. Well, didn't. that was the Tom Lynch review, not the Ark review. <laughs> he so. probably missed that. Um the uh, the other thing I would like to see when there's a shot like that is a goal is an umpire under every post, yep. so that the umpire is not having to move to see it. He just has to. So see you it. get the boundary umpires back. Um, so in that instance, the Tom Lynch instance, you can ignore the point post nearest to him because it ain't going there. You put that boundary umpire on the nearest goal post. You put the goal umpire on the post it went over, and you put the other boundary umpire on the other boundary umpire. You know what I'd like to see them do? Have two goal umpires, like on a subs bench, dressed in the old butcher's coats, and they can come out. Oh, like, yes. Sort of like Medi goal umpires. Yeah. You can sponsor them. (laughs) I think it would be a great idea. A bit of branding. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
Medi Golem Post, dressed in the old style uniform. The Coca Cola relieving Golem The butcher's hats. You know, when I worked in London for four years, the, all the POMs over there, they just continually asked me to do the goal umpiring um, the signals. Yeah. That's what they loved it. And the flags and everything. And it's a pity. They, they said, what's going on with their uniform? Because these are the, the olden days when they had the old butcher's hat and the coats on. And the, were you around? They've got pretty hot and hot days in that uniform, I'd when, say. When you were, around, were you around when they made it part of the grand final entertainment? The goal umpires in their suits did a march. Like the old suits in the white and, and waved the flags and it was like... No, I haven't seen that. It wasn't quite as bad as meatloaf, but it was it was amateur hour from but You the know what I like to see? I like to see... And you don't if you, you don't often notice this because the last thing you're looking at is goal umpires before a game. But often they get out there and they do a little bit of a stretch. Did you know that? Yes. Oh, yeah, it's quite entertaining. We often have... If I'm there and I'm on the source and having a bit of a bet on the various things that are about to happen in the game, there's always one too with the last goal umpire to put his flags in the post. Because there's always, there's always one that gets in early and there's one that's... That was like the old bet at the old MCG when they were allowed to run onto the ground and they used to have the race to the centre circle. Do you remember that? The, yeah. punt, the punters used to race into the centre circle. <laughs> I saw two blokes at an Essendon-Carlton game, one Essendon supporter, one Carlton supporter, and they hit in the middle. Oh. Came off opposite wings and... It was ugly. It wasn't pretty. And they jumped up and they were on. Oh, they, it, it was on? Yeah, it was on. So they, they, it was a dead heat, the sprint. Um, neither of them pulled out of body contact. <laughs> they both went base over apex, jumped up and shaped up. And then they got overtaken by the crowd. So they, there was no real punch on, but they were ready to go. They were good to go. Jeez. So On that note. Saddle up your camel. It's time for the Thirsty Camel Mailbag. Yes, thank you to Thirsty Camel. Thank you to Green Coast Lager from Stone and Wood Brewery. We'll be giving away a carton later in the week. Please keep your emails short. Most of you do. Uh, some of you don't. It'll too long to read out. It'll take us forever. So keep them short, please. And please there's let us there's know. A, there's a Glenn Quartermain rebuke there going on. And please on. let us know you're from Western Australia as well or you can't win the carton. Or if you know someone who's from here, we might be able to get it to them. We'll see. This one from Zach from Margaret River. G'day, fellas. Just wondering, when did teams start running under banners rather than busting straight through them? Bring back some of the theatre, I say. Couldn't agree more. You know what that's about, though, generally? Kids. Well, it's no superstition. A lot of players don't ever like to – I don't think Jared Ruffhead, correct me if I'm wrong, always ran round the banner. Some of them just don't like to run through them. And uh, there was a period in the 70s. I used to make the banners. I was in the Hawthorne Cheer Squad. I used to help make them. And it's just sticky tape and Why are we not surprised? (laughs) And Carlton for a Incidentally, period... Incidentally, our producer Shannon is just rolling around in a chair laughing at that. Carlton, for a period, <laughs> thought it would be uh, wise to use staples instead I remember of tape. That, yeah. And uh, the players started complaining because they had cuts and abrasions all over them from the staples. Uh, I once saw Carlton run through a banner and I was just looking through... I don't know why I was looking at John Dorotich, but the post fell on his shoulder. And he fell to the ground. He was clutching his shoulder. And I said to the media around me, I said, I think Dorotich is down. (laughs) Before the game started, I think he's been hit by the banner post. (laughs) And he was off. He didn't play. (laughs) So they can be dangerous running Were they able to replace him at that stage? I don't know. what the No. No, they were down to two two on the bench, I think. Three at the time. I've seen um, a player get replaced after they run onto the ground. Yeah, you, I think you can until the first bounce. Is that right? Because if you do a hammy in the warm-up or As something. long as you – I think it's almost up to two minutes before 
the first bounce. I think you can basically, as long as you get to the interchange stewards. I think really on that day, I might be wrong, I think on that day he started and then he was no good early. Yeah, and right. had to come off the ground. So yeah. uh, they can be dangerous. I don't know. Why, they, that's why. I think a lot of it they run under. There's a lot of superstition about it in some places. I think they've a lot of a lot of times now there's kids and there's sick people, you know, yeah. like Make-A-Wish. Yeah, which is fantastic. Sort of people. And there's sometimes disabled people as well become part of the run-through. And I suspect you don't want them getting caught up or strangled by a, a stubborn banner. Now, being a master banner maker, Duff, uh, yes. from the back in the day. You make More a, laughter from Shannon. No, you make a weak point. So it's, you, and you instruct them to run through the sand. You make a weak point so they can get through it, you see. That's what you do. Just ask Collingwood in 2018. Yes. The banner didn't even make it to the... Uh, well, the, that was a weak point, <laughs> that banner, wasn't it? Oh, it was a bit windy that day. Anyway, they, hopefully, I don't think we've answered your question, Zach, but we've tried. <laughs> uh, this one from Adam. Hi, fellas. Great pod. Always listen as I'm on the road a lot. After hearing the news that Frio will have an extended stay on the East Coast, well, this is a, this is old, sorry, but but the next part of it uh, explains his email. Why hasn't Fremantle and West Coast gone to the AFL and proposed a road trip style of fixture where they play two or three games on the road and then have two to three game block at home? Surely the burden of travel can um, from WA could be eased with this measure and it wouldn't be like the hubs in COVID as they can enjoy their freedom. FIFO workers stay away for two weeks at a time. Surely footy players can too. I didn't mind that email. It's a good question mm. and it's actually I'm marking that as my leader so far. Mm. So and Mick Malthouse went part of the way to explaining this on a, a radio show I do at the weekend. When they established the travel routines and the fixture routine, um, footballs were part-time. So going away for two weeks and staying for two weeks wasn't an option. Now that they're full-time, it actually is an option. So it's probably um, if you can go – if Fremantle could go to Melbourne and play a team, fly in two days before that game, play that team, fly in the day after they play the second team, cut their number of plane flights to five as opposed to ten, which is what it is now – uh, ditto West Coast. Co-fund a facility, perhaps, with a suburban club in Melbourne so they can both use the ground when they're there. Sort of like an athlete's village. Yeah. Yes. You'd want a well-behaved group of athletes, wouldn't you? You would. You would. You wouldn't want um, the Collingwood Rat Pack or the, um, well, dare we say it, the Eagles from the noughties in that, in that sort of facility. No, no. Um, that, that, that could get a bit scurrilous and... Uh, it could. And distracting. Uh, Josh from Bunbury. Uh, hey, fellas. Love the pod and the mighty Dockers. Disappointing to see them lose on the weekend, but overall happy with the improvement this year. If you have a look over the last few years, the best and most important players in big finals have been the explosive mids who can go forward and kick multiple multiple goals. For example, Martin Petraka and Dugowie have been awesome. has been awesome so far this final series and was even better in 2018. My question is, do you think Frio should prioritise finding a player like that, whether it's in the draft or through the trade period, or do you think there is someone on their list who can grow into that type of player? Brayshaw has started to hit the scoreboard more, but I don't think he can be as damaging, or does Erasmus have the potential to become that type of player? That's a really good question. So if I look at their young players, um, what I see, let's, let's go Erasmus and Johnson, for example, of the young mids we haven't seen a lot of yet. Um, I certainly don't see that in Liam Henry. I see him as a neat wingman, possibly higher forward. Quick. Um, he's, he's not that quick, actually. He's got good evasion and he's a good ball user. Um, Erasmus is powerful. Um, is he explosive? Maybe not quite, um, but very strong. 
Um, very strong, contested ball beast. Johnson I liken to David Mundy. So yeah. I think yeah, he's the 192 centimetre, silky smooth, class player. So is and he clearly it's opened up for him now with Mundy retiring. Yeah, except you know who Fremantle will want to play somewhere near their best next year? They'll, they'll want Nathan Fife somewhere near their best. Mm. And if Nathan Fife, he doesn't have to have a. So 20... you see him midfield more next year, do you? Well, just looking at what Dugowie did to him on the weekend, mm. I've kind of shifted on that view a bit. And also seeing how well um, Amos bedded himself down in attack as well. I think Amos can be a little bit more of that player. And I think the other player that's been quite encouraging over the last fortnight has been Sam Sturt. In the, the waffle, waffle yeah. so he's he's kicked seven goals in his last two games. Gets another shot at it this week. If Sam Sturt can gravitate into the AFL, then I think that helps remake their forward line a bit. And another year for Sturt as well. Yep. Uh, hi, gents. This is from Greg from Willerton. Do you think it would be worthwhile the Eagles using one of their second round picks to try and trade for Devon Robertson from Brisbane with Will Ashcross? And Jasper Fletcher likely to join Brisbane in the midfield. Robinson's game time might become more limited. Also, I was watching with my niece's under-12 final a couple of weeks ago. The quality of the play and the talent included a very good winmar. Only bodes well for the AFLW competition continuing to improve in the future. Well done. Hey, just before we start, I was um, at my junior footy club, Mount Lawley Inglewood, hosted six grand finals at the weekend. And apart from cooking seven to 800 sausages, and I'm not joking. Were you I down at Hamer Park? I was at Hamer Park. It's and a great, I, great ground. It is. Uh, great club room, new club rooms in the middle. Yep. Grounds need a bit of work, so if you're listening local council, the surface needs some repair. But I, I had the electronic scoreboard for an under-9s game, uh, sorry, a year-9s game between um, South Perth and Belmont. And... I'm saying 90% of um, kicks hit their target. Wow. It was unbelievable high, unbelievably high level of skill. Both kids? I, both teams? or Sorry? Both. Yeah, both teams. Yeah, and it was a really good game. Um, there was a kid, number 38, um, South Perth. No about, names. Okay, no, I'm not going to mention names. Don't put the weights on him. No, anyway, he, he's gone bang, 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 bang after half time to set up Belmont for a win. But I said to the footy commission people there, please tell me this is Division 1. Because if this is Division 2, I want to see Division 1. And it was Division 1. So anyway, I, I rambled on a bit there. But it was, a fan, it was just a really good level for such a young group of kids. I'm surprised you weren't making a banner. <laughs> I would have. There was a banner. There are plenty of banners out there. It's good to see for kids playing their 50th and 100th. And so, yeah, I'd help them. Bit of expertise. So I can't even remember what we were talking about. What Devin we Robertson. Talking? Devin Robertson. Okay, so Devin Robertson. Um Look, I think West Coast would look at him. He's Darren Glass's nephew, obviously, so there is a family link to the club. The only thing is, is again, what do West Coast need? Do they yeah. need a dogged, tagging type, or no. do they need a dynamic yes. midfielder? So they, they they want Campbell Chester to be the player they think he might be, and they want two or three more like him, don't they? So that's that's yes, what they, they want. Yes, they do, two or three more, yeah. So I think, yeah. That, and a Ruckman. That probably, well, a Ruckman in 12 months' time, yeah. yeah. Or maybe even now. Is yeah. Nick Nat going to get up? Well, he'll get up for a year. Or he'll really? Get up, he'll get up for 10 games. Okay. Yeah. And then I think it's all... So his knee's fine? No. Well, how, how's he going to get up for a whole season? Um, well, painkillers. Okay. <laughs> get Lloyd Meek across from the Dockers, I'd say. Yeah, or have a serious crack at Luke Jackson. Yeah, and then you've got um, Tim English in a couple of years, possibly. 
Probably. Uh, Richo from Hammy Hill. Morning, fellas. Is Josh Tracy tracking behind where he should be as a developing key forward, or is, or is he still on target? He seemed to burst onto the scene at the start, but this season he appears to have hit the wall at waffle level. It also looks like Jai Amos has leapfrogged him in the pecking order. Also, is there any chance of a summer sports podcast? Last summer, I was that desperate for content, I even listened to trade radio, and safe to say it didn't hit the spot. Uh, yeah, there's a chance for a summer podcast. We should do a trade podcast. Yeah, we? we'll definitely be doing more podcasts post the season, that's for sure. Can't tell you how regularly, but we'll be doing them. Um, geez, you're a bit hard on Josh Tracy. I think he's just turned 20. Well, I'm not harsh on him, Richard. No, that's what I'm talking, I'm talking I'm talking to the correspondent, not not you. Mm. He's just turned 20. So Different Josh, player to Jai Amos, though. Josh got more opportunities last year because Fremantle was skinny in that area of the ground, had a lot of injuries, therefore he was asked to play probably ahead of time. He... he he had a real problem getting fit during the preseason. I think he had an ankle mm-hmm. concern, missed a big chunk of the preseason. Has played some good games in the waffle and has not been consistent. Probably and got crook as well. So he missed. I reckon he missed a month of footy in the lead into the waffle finals with illness. We he got a virus and it took him a while to shake it off. So, so there's the mitigating circumstances. I like Cyclone. I think Frio needs that type of player. Tracy, yes, sorry, uh, I forgot. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like. They, I reckon he, he can serve a really good use. At some point in the future, Glenn Quatermain will construct a banner for the Fremantle Football Club saying, come on, Cyclone Tracy. <laughs> I will. If there's a Cyclone, it won't last. If they if they play someone in Darwin, I think, you know, you should do Cyclone Tracy. Santa never made it into Darwin. Yes, who the gurus. Uh, morning Duff and Quarters. Long-time listener, third-time emailer from Perth. When will the AFL start to seriously worry about the Giants? Low crowd numbers and consistently losing their star players to premiership contenders over their history, arguably more than the Suns. Are they in a long-term worse position than the Suns? That's from John. That's a really good email. I don't like it. Once again, they're being decimated by player raids from powerful clubs. I don't like it. So my take on the Giants is they've got to find a way to put more bums on seats. Now, it seems to me that up in Sydney, there might be some things you do. You might give away freebies. You might do this. You might do that. But they've got to find a way to get the club more involved in the community, whether that's event sharing. I, I don't think know. they do all of that. It's just hard to lure them into the well, game. Well, mate, their average home crowd was 9,000. Yeah, I know. I know. And players don't want to play in front of 9,000 people it's a, in the AFL. It's a rugby league frontier out there. It's hard. But all they've got to find is 20,000 people. Mm. 20,000 people at that ground will be a terrific atmosphere and will be something that will help you keep the clubs. But you can't be playing in a 20,000-seat stadium with 9,000 people in there because the players go, oh, this is a bit crap, and they all want to leave at the end of the year. So, And they've had to pay. The flip side of this is people keep on bagging the Giants for their salary cap management. If you're playing under those circumstances, you have to pay more to keep them, don't you? Because they would rather be playing in front of 60,000 people at the MCG than 9,000 people yeah, I know where at, I'd rather be playing. at Giants Stadium. So they've got to find a way, and it has to be their priority. I think if they put bums on seats at both that ground and, and Metricon Stadium, the problems of those clubs will get a lot easier to solve. Now, Shannon, probably put the kettle on, get some chamomile tea ready for this one. Uh, Michael writes, Morning, boys. Not going to lie, Duff. 
Not a Collingwood or West Coast fan, but I had to have a chuckle at Ginevan's very decent three-goal game against your Dockers. It was karma for those who believe in such mumbo-jumbo. Honestly, though, sports needs characters, and I don't know why you got so wound up earlier in the year just because of his celebration for a goal against your beloved Dockers and continue to get wound up after that as if trying to shore up your original too precious by half reaction. Mick from Swanball. It's a good one, and it should be high in the picking order of... Uh, um of our entrance this week, but just to fire back Very at you, Very magnanimous Mick, of you, Dove. I didn't get fired up about his goal celebration. I got fired up about the fact that he tries to milk a free kick every time he gets tackled. And I got fired up about the reaction to that, as in, oh, poor Jack Ginevan. Well, mm. sorry, Jack, if you're going to milk free kicks and then play the mental health card, talk about too precious by half, um, probably not me getting fired up about... Uh, a goal celebration. Yeah, I think we'll have some a biscuit with that chamomile too, Shannon, as well. And maybe a second cup, just but as a follow-up. I'd, I'd have a second. But I'd also have him near the top of the pile because he's very witty and pithy and I want to meet him at the door when he comes to get his drinks from security. <laughs> High Duffin Quarters. Big show I'll from, show him how to shrug a tackle up. Big show from Sydney here. Congrats on a consistently great podcast. A lot of work goes into it, and on behalf of the listeners coast to coast, my, I extend a big thank you. No problems at all, Chris. Quick question. Do you guys find it odd that when the players leave the MCG to go to the rooms and the camera follows them, they have to navigate their way through a car park, past catering trucks, stepping over cables, etc.? It just seems so admirish for such a professional sport. Do you agree or am I being too precious? It's a good email. So, but I'm, you would have been down in those rooms. Yeah, yeah. It's not actually like that. What happens is you go down the race. So one of them's a race race and the other one's sort of like more like a driveway. Um, you go down there and then you turn a corner and then there's a barricade um, that's sort of like that's where the car park is and that's where the vehicles travel. And then you, you go on the, the room side of that barricade and then you go into the room. So once you've been down there, it looks a little bit different to the way it's portrayed it does. on the TV. And it is a little bit different I've been to the way it's portrayed on crackers the Crackers over the years. I remember Docklands, they used to do shortcut the walk from the media centre to the rooms. They put us in a catering lift at one point. So you're standing there with a kitchen hand next to you with a tray full of food. I don't know where I'm going here. Hopefully I'm going to the rooms they're sending me to. Can I tell you a story about Docklands? You remember the night that Carlton got pinged for salary cap cheating? Yep. So that that meeting, the AFL Commission meeting, went way into the night, the hearing, and we were all standing outside in the runway where the vehicles drive around. And you know how, like, on the ceiling of that runway you have all the cables and the... um, we were playing cricket in the on that road, if you like, for want of a better term, and someone hit the tennis ball onto the the upper reaches of that road, and we stacked about eight milk crates on top of each other, and then the son of a dark and shiro got Did up you? and got the ball down. Yes. <laughs> One of my braver moments. Oh. Was Absolutely crapping myself the whole time. You're a long way up, I can tell you. And there's a long way down and it's all concrete below you. Hello, Duff and Quarters. Matt here in New South Wales. I caught the second half of the Peel v South Frio final on Sunday afternoon in which Sturt and Wilson played pivotal roles and displayed attributes which were sorely missed by the Dockers on Saturday night. Sturt took pack marks and kicked three crucial goals. I understand he has been left out of the AFL team in favour of pressure forwards, but watching him in the waffle, I can't help but think he would have added a different and valuable dynamic to Fremantle's forward line. Meanwhile, 
Wilson had 26 disposals, 24 of them by foot, including some lasers to leading forwards. He got a couple of games in the AFL this year, but the younger defenders were generally in favour. His experience in finals may have been valuable on the weekend. We will never know. I understand the desire to give exposure to young players, but was playing all four Walker, Chapman, Clark and Young in the finals over the very capable and experienced Wilson a mistake? That's from Matt. That, was, that would have been a really tough call for them, I reckon, because I reckon early in the first final, Brandon Walker had some nervous moments and then steadied himself and his pace became a factor late in the game. Um, I'll, I'll bet they considered bringing in Nathan Wilson. I think Fremantle is very pleased with Nathan Wilson's season. I think that's why he's been given another contract. Must and be frustrating for him. Yeah, so the, the flip side of him playing is that if he plays and you still cop a hammering and you've missed the opportunity to give yeah. a, a player like Walker, you can go to Brandon Walker now and you can say, mate, now you know what the level is, but to have a clear understanding, it's never going to be harder than that. So if you can get to that level... Apart from grand final day, possibly. Because you've got all the stuff leading into a grand final. It's a bit different again. Yeah, but the ferals... Yeah, 90,000 at the G. And they're ferals. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. You know, like on grand final... Collingwood on grand final day. On grand final day, there's 17,000 ferals from each team. There are, and then then there's a lot of corporates. Yeah, who don't care, yeah. There is nothing more intimidating than a big final... Preliminary final, massive. Yeah, so... It, it won't. It, he won't find a tougher night than that, Brandon Walker. So that's a good and also pointer. Chapman, Young, um, Clark, all great experience for them. Yep. Yeah. Twenty games. Hi, Duff and Quarters. Recently, I heard you both wax lyrical in some sort of seventies and eighties time warp. Maybe it was through thirsty camel rosé glasses. <laughs> You suggested St Kilda as a possible club. Hypothetically, you would support if you relocated to Melbourne. May I remind you both, on previous podcasts, you repeatedly stated that they were the meat in a mediocre club. Well, I said that. Yeah, but likeable. Yeah. (laughs) They continue to be the most financially precarious Victorian-based club and perennial underachievers. Should all those involved with the organisation and sympathetics be invited to face a Frank Costanza-style Festivus? That's from Andrew from Leeming. Festivus for the rest of us. I'll tell you what. He's pushing my buttons there. I I agree. I didn't say they were. They are very much in the meaty part of mediocre, but they're still very likable. Yeah, we all like the Saints. Everyone wants the Saints to do well. I mean, I think we're all a bit heartbroken when Adelaide beat them in the 97 grand final. We, we, we thought that was the moment for St Kilda. And, uh, um, but that doesn't mean they're well run. Likeable is different to well run. It is. Hi, Duff and Quarters. Uh, is all the perceived drama surrounding a bunch of Frio's want-away players down to one particular agent who's notoriously difficult to work with? Or does it point to cultural problems at Frio or something else entirely? Frio is looking at turning over five to eight players this off-season, including the retirement of Monday. How many is too many? Seems like a real kick in the teeth to what has been looking like a really great Rebuild. That's Tom from Bustledon. I wonder who he's talking about. Well, Colin Young Colin from Young. Corporate Sports Australia. Um, Colin's a very outspoken manager. He's a very strident manager. Um, can be quite vitriolic uh, at times, particularly around trade period. Um, look, let's break this down into the individual cases. If Rory Lobb goes, it'll be a contract thing. There was a lot of narrative created during the course of the year about this being a personal issue between Rory Lobb and Fremantle. I was told by Colin Young himself that if Fremantle were to offer Rory Lobb a continuation of his contract, which is at $700,000 a year, he'd be signing, in his words, tomorrow. 
So it's a contract issue. He can get more money where he's going than he would get if he stayed at Fremantle. Fremantle are keen to give him a haircut. You can argue whether that's deserved or not, given he kicked 30-odd goals for them this year. Griffin Logue, pretty simple with Griffin. Fremantle started low in the contract negotiation, have worked their way up to four times 500. In the meantime, North Melbourne's looked at him and said, we think he's worth more than that to us. They've offered him significantly more. I don't know what the essence of that offer is, but I suspect given that Griffin's always indicated he wants to stay, mm. I suspect North's offer is probably somewhere in the realm of 700. 700 yeah. If you're looking at $200,000 a year difference, you're considering the offer. Now, the recent mail is that Griffin more likely to go than stay, but having said that, it's financial. Um, the other one is Blake Akers. We've discussed Blake Akers. I think Blake Akers probably should go for the offer Carlton have given him, and Fremantle probably should, given that what they've got coming up behind Blake Akers and what they're trying to bring in, they probably should seriously consider not going too high and trying to keep him. So that's a, you know, that's just one of those situations. Um, the Liam Henry one I don't like. I didn't like the fact that his name has been bought into it very late. I don't think a young player needs that. He's still playing in the waffle. Contracted for next year. He's contracted, yeah. So he's not going anywhere. Yeah. And, le- and incidentally, neither is Rory Lobb, unless Fremantle agrees to the trade. So Liam Henry, Rory Lobb, as much as everyone assumes that Rory Lobb just plays for the Western Bulldogs next year, so be it. He doesn't go anywhere unless Fremantle says, yep, that's okay. So, um, yes, Colin can be all of those things. Um, and yes, he can be difficult to deal with. But these, each one of these is a slightly different case. Is it a? Well, he's there to look after his players and get the best deal for his players. That's what he's there to do. Yeah, I also think though, what is best for your player? It would be very strange, for example, if in the one season, Rory Lobb, Griffin Logue, and Blake Akers all played career best football and left. Yeah, under a coach that clearly appreciates what they bring and the value that they hold for the team, and they all leave. And if they were to play next year, perhaps for more money, but not play as well, I think you'd have to ask the question then. Well, thank you for your mail. Please send it into this address. Send your mail to Duff and Quarters at wanews.com.au. Thank you very much for joining us today. It is Tuesday. We'll be back on Thursday. Uh, We have been brought to you by TabTouch. Those with the touch, you can better your bet. Download TabTouch today. Please gamble responsibly and please call Gambler's Help on 1-800-858-858 if you encounter any difficulties. Quarters, thank you for joining us on the Duff and Quarters podcast. Shannon, I suspect you've enjoyed yourself today. A lot of uh, banner discussion for round quarters and uh, we'll be back to try and pick you a winner in the two preliminary finals this weekend. Always one of the best footy weekends, preliminary final weekends quarters. It is indeed, yeah. It's it's one of those games where the players are so on edge because there's a grand final at stake, but you don't want to get injured. You can see both the finish line and the obstacles between you and the finish line. Very nerve-wracking for a supporter. We'll talk to you on Thursday. If you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you get in touch? Send your thoughts to the Thirsty Camel mailbag at duffandquarters at wanews.com.au. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and of course, tell your mates. Thanks for listening. This has been the Duff and Quarters podcast on the game. You know who? It's unbelievable.